Hello and welcome to another episode of Chris Talks Music. This time around I'm speaking to a rather lovely chap from Sheffield called John McClure here of Reverend and the Makers. Never resting on their laurels and constantly striving to challenge perceptions of the band, they've become one of the most enduring and great survivors of the great British music scene. With a career spanning two decades, John and his collective of musicians burst into the scene with their top five chart in debut album The State of Things. The album spawned the UK top ten single Heavyweight Champion of the World. It's a bit of an anthem. The band's recent singles, Heatwave in the Cold North, which is a hazy, sun-drenched, Barry White-inspired soul bop, also the opening single from their forthcoming album of the same name, it's become their biggest hit in over a decade. This was followed by the softly spangled psychedelic soul of high and a typically catchy earworm, Problems, which is amazing, you should definitely check it out. That was the third offering from their forthcoming studio album, Heatwave in the Cold North, which will be coming out this Friday, April the 28th, via Distiller Music. I recently spent a little bit of time speaking to John following their two sold-out Sheffield shows, where we talked about their new album and their new single, A Letter to My 21-Year-Old Self. But first, we started off with a little bit of a chat about their two recent sold-out Sheffield shows. I went to the Friday show, and if you did happen to go there... Gosh, it was a hell of an event. I asked John what he thought about it. Yeah, enjoyed it, mate. Always a always a winner. Did you go Friday or Saturday night? I went on the Friday. Yeah, always a uh, always a good night, mate. And I think like we did two this time. So for whatever reason, like band seems to be getting more popular in later life, which is a bit of a mad a mad thing, really. Because. Only took yeah, you seven you, albums, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. You know, you never think you're gonna be you never think you're gonna be in a band when you're in your forties. Um you think you're gonna kinda, you know, one album and you're out sort of thing and, and to, to still be doing it and for it to be getting you know, going from strength to strength is is amazing really. And I feel very, very lucky, you know, because there's a lot of bands from our era who who have sort of gone by wayside, you know, and it's uh, it's a real shame. Yeah, because I remember when you guys like obviously came out back in two thousand seven. I was just finishing up university at the time when you did heavyweight champion of the world and indie and the alternative music scene and everything at the time. It was just it was banging, and then it kind of for a lot of bands they just like fizzled out, and um, it's great being just like seeing loads of live music coming back especially after pandemic which has been let's be honest bollocks yeah we're a bit of a weird type pandemic you know i mean obviously there's not a lot of money in live music and and i did worry for a for a long time like oh shit where's me where's me income gonna come from um you know because sorry i may be clear there's no there's not a lot of money in recorded music so much live is where you make your money right and then obviously when that went but whatever, for whatever reason, I ended up being morbid than ever during during COVID. Really, I ended up like producing and writing for a bunch of other artists, and did a thing for an advert, and obviously wrote this album that's about to come out. So it were ended up being like a really sort of profitable time for me. Really, um, I don't know whatever happens. I, I always whatever happens, I always seem to come out smiling. Me, I'm like a cockroach after a nuclear war. I'm one who one who survives for whatever reason. I've um, seen that. Yeah, it's. Um... You can't. The thing is, though, it's um, while a lot of people kind of took the foot off the pedal and then they were drinking, I don't know, Prosecco and buying hot tubs and all that stuff, you were keeping yourself busy in a variety of different ways. But I think idle minds, isn't it? That's what comes to mind. Yeah, definitely. I I, I certainly, my mental health struggles if I don't keep busy. And and what's more, I think coming from that working class background, um, you know, you've got that ethic to, to graft that's instilled in you from being a kid. Um, yeah. And it, it just sitting about, don't be wrong, there's an element of sitting about when you're a musician, but yeah. I can't sit about too long, me. I have to be busy, you know, and, and, and even at minute I'm doing all these house gigs and I'm doing this little sort of art exhibition that I'm launching down at Fagan's next Thursday. So, like, I've that's always the letters got... to my 21-year-old self, isn't it? But we'll... Yeah, so, so the the new, the new latest track that's about to come out on Friday from the album is, is called A Letter to My 21-Year-Old Self. Now, when I've played it, to, played it to my mates and my nearest and dearest and stuff, they all picked out this as the favourite, which, considering like the tracks like Eatwave and Problems on there, is a, is a real 
testament to how good they think the song is, really, because there's a lot of other good songs on the album. Uh, but they all loved this one, and they were like, this is reaches a place that you've never reached before, which is, I guess, kind of me looking back at my life and my career and owning, owning some of the mistakes I've made, because I have made a lot of mistakes. I've, I've done silly things and whatever. And then for whatever reason, that concept seems to really appeal to people, just the, the, the idea of writing to your younger self. And so I opened it up and I've had letters from like some all manner of different people from all walks of life, you know, and yeah. the idea is we're going to show them off in back room of Fagans on Thursday night over a pint, maybe listen to album and I guess just start the conversation because I think, you know, my brother... He, he does a similar thing for his job, and he says he says it's very therapeutic to do the stuff like that to to look at your life in, in long form and to think where you may or may not have gone wrong and stuff. And yeah, I just think it's a it's an interesting little think piece in it and something a bit different. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I mean, if you you were to point out someone to me that were forty year old or even in their twenties and thirties who'd never make a mistake made a mistake in their life, I'll I'll show you a liar. But it's like, and it's not yeah. in a horrible way. It's just like we do cock things up and we do make mistakes and stuff. But then it's also about kind of, yeah, sure, it's it's looking at the mistakes and saying I've done a lot of things wrong, but we've done loads of things right. But we just yeah. haven't really put the spotlight on them. And being from Sheffield like we are, we're really bad at saying how good we are at doing stuff. Yeah, and I wonder sometimes whether that's a double-edged sword. I mean, you go to Manchester yeah. and that sort of iconography of all their musicians it's plastered everywhere you look, right? And I wouldn't sometimes yeah. wonder whether that sort of slight humility that Sheffield people have, where you're not, you're, you're trying to have to be a bit more earthy, I guess, and a bit more tethered into reality, is that's part of what makes Sheffield so such a fertile place musically. Um, you know, I had a big, big sort of mashup last week down at Fagan's with Richard Orley, and he was saying something about that really struck a chord with me. He says, You can have your head in the clouds, but keep your feet in the dirt. And I thought, Absolutely. okay, yeah. And he's obviously, I look at him and Phil Oakey and various other people, Martin Ware, you know, musicians who are older than me, Nick Banks from Pulp. I look at people who are older than me who still have a career in music and still are active and busy and stuff. And I think, you know, these people who are like heroes, you know, really, yeah. I guess, who have become mates as I've got older. And you look at them and you think, no, you can. You can, you can have a career here. You can be informed by this place. But equally, if you get too big-headed... You'll get you'll get cut down. So you have to sort of temper being a dreamer with being a bit more a bit of a realist and all. And I think Sheffield people are good at that. And that's why we keep, you know, you look at Bring Me the Horizon success and the rating success and self-esteem success in the last few years. Yeah. And you think there's definitely something about this city that keeps on doing it. You know what I mean? And that's that's great. There's, there's definitely a cultural thing here. What would Dio said years ago? There's something in water. You know, there, there is. is there is definitely something in water. There is there is a, a thing there that I think keeps on doing it and, and enables us to to not be flashing pans as well. You look at Richard Orley's career, you look at how long it took Pulp to get to where they got to. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Rebecca Taylor's career with we, we Slow Club and then obviously gone on to become this big pop star. And I don't know what it is. We, we all seem to be career in, we're like what I'd say are lifers. Do you know what I mean? We're here for a, we're here for a long time, and and we build careers out of it, and that's great. Even Bring Me the Horizon, they've been going like fifteen years. You know what I mean? It's a long time. It's mental. Um, obviously, I was speaking success. with Charles Watson about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, from Slow Club because I mm. he did um, an album last year. And, yeah. Um, he he went. He was at Sydney and Matilda, and I had a, a wicked chat with him. We did a podcast with him, and. Um, I was just talking about it and saying that the thing is, like you said, something in the water. And I was speaking with Matic Mao um, just okay. a couple of years back. He's a friend of mine as well. And I was saying it's like, I'm from this city and I left here for like 16 years. And came back at the beginning of 2020 thinking, come back to my home city yeah, and put roots down. What's the worst that could happen? That were in January. Obviously, March happened. Well, less said about that, the better. But like... Um, it was like, for me, it was like me coming back and I was like excited because it was a place that was so familiar yet so strange. And the reason I started writing about and talking to people about the music and stuff is one, I just love music in general anyways, whatever the genre. And 
too, it was like, I didn't, I didn't feel like we really kind of put the spotlight on folks, whether they were a large established band or whether they were up and yeah. in. I just wanted to talk to people about music and whether I got the music or not, I just wanted to kind of understand it. And I was speaking to uh, Marcus about it and I was saying, the thing is what struck me about coming back here is it's like, obviously we've got all them tunnels underneath the city. We've got Metrodome yeah. and all that. And it's like, for me, it just feels like there's this continuous current going underneath this city, flowing through the city, just gushing with creative talent that's yeah. yet to be realized or it's just being tapped into and harnessed. And people just don't realize the greatness that's all around us at all times. And we can grumble and grope and twine about whatever that's going on in Sheffield. But there is some like absolutely brilliant stuff. And I mean, like yourselves kind of coming out with this new album and I've given it a good listen. And I would agree that I do think so far, a letter to my 21 year old self, it resonates particularly with myself. Amazing. Yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely brilliant, and I loved um, living without you as well. Um, yeah, the final well, track. I mean, me 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 th- my theory with this album really is um, sort of trying to get away from doing them obvious melodies that a lot of um, northern male indie singers do. So, like. Nice. You listen to these guys and they'll tail off the words in the way that they've always done. They've all, we've all got like little sort of idiosyncrasies and ways that we do things. And I thought, I'm going to get out of that. I'm going to get out of that and just do something different. So I palled up with a mate of mine. He's called Danny Lafron. Yeah. And he's a big Wednesday night, Dan. And we like good at, we've been at matches together and that. And like, he's right into melody. So I said to him, right, you do melodies and I'll try and fit the words precisely to your melodies. We'll get established some, a beat or some chords together. You do the melodies and I'll just do the words, but I'll fit the words precisely to the shape. And so he's melodically, I guess he's coming a bit more from like Frank Ocean or even Drake or like Tyler, the creator or something. And obviously moment I do my Sheffield thing on that, it takes it somewhere. You get this like third thing, so we're just yeah. trying to like cook up a different recipe, really. I mean, Matic's a good example, obviously, Marcus. I've known him since we were kids. We went to school together, and like my family lived up road from his family, like, and obviously he's Johnny Nelson's nephew. So we idolised Johnny as kids. Yeah. But like, he's I've collaborated with him in the past, and that was a similar thing where you're just trying to every album or every project you do, you need the recipe to be a bit different. Um, and for whatever reason, this late, latest one's just connecting with people and it's getting, obviously, a lot of exposure on radio. Radio 2 have picked it up and, and we're seeing result of that with numbers we're getting and live shows and one thing or another. And I just, I feel very happy because you never know, you know, you, you you could cook something that people don't like and it just be like a massive bag of shit. So it's nice that, like, you know, people are gravitating towards it, really. Yeah, I think it's... Um... I think what the key thing about it, it's it's the energy, you know, that you get from it. And it's like um I was listening to it in the kitchen. I was doing some um spring rolls in the air fryer and that while I was on my lunch break. Very nice. And I was oh well, you know, katsu chicken rolls. Aye. A bit bougie. But um yeah, so I was in the kitchen doing that and I was just listening to the album and I was just like just doing a little little shuffle, a little dance around, and I was thinking, I bet John were like proper feeling the vibe while they were doing this and you could tell that you were like and that you were collectively not just yourself obviously all of you you were you were enjoying it and it comes through in the music and i think after like and i'm not saying the last obviously few years pandemic and whatnot has been awful for everybody yes it has in a variety of different ways mental health work-wise and so on but i just think life has been so crap for people for so long whether you want to look at it like kind of economically or politically or if you want to look at it from like kind of the um the xenophobia the rise of that and that, that mm-hmm. all that, those kinds of contexts and i just think people are so angry and pissed off but they've kind of forgotten what they're angry and pissed off at now and they don't really know where to put the frustrations and anger and i think the reason i think this album is going to particularly resonate far more than your previous releases and that's not being disingenuous about it whatsoever yeah. i just think we need that kind of escape and you yeah. need to be taken away on a little bit of a journey for a while. And that that's what I've got from it so far. Oh, you know bless you. Thanks, man. I mean, right. I'll send you a bill in post. <laughs> it's a great review that. Yeah, I'm going to say, could you circulate that? Yeah. You know, like, I think, I think, like, 
uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy's got this thing where he calls it edutainment, right? Which is yeah, your music can carry a message and it can be left field and experimental and whatever. And I've made a lot of political music, I've lot made a lot of experimental music, and that's great and and all that. But ultimately, music's entertainment, right? And I think I got to, yeah. re- regarding that edutainment thing, I got too much on the edger and not on the tainment, right? And I think that like I sort of. I don't know if I like maybe rediscovered in later life a love of pop music. My first album, although it's an indie album and it, whatever, it's quite poppy. It's quite like unashamedly quite the pop songs, right? And yeah. I think when you do pop music in a in a in a faithful way, where you're not trying trying too hard, you're just doing it and you're going with it. It's often best sort of music, and I rediscovered that a little bit on this album, and I guess. As you get older, you probably take yourself a little bit less seriously. So you're probably not, you don't have that onus on you to be like the weirdest or the most for real or any of them things. You're just doing, and like you said, music often can just be as simple as like, I've had a shit day. I want to just be transported to another place for five minutes. And and I lost sight, middle of my career, I think I probably lost sight of that. And I've returned to it a little bit. I have radio on my mic, well, no, more specifically, Laura, my wife has radio on. Yeah. And I see her like umming along with radio, and I think for a lot of people, that's what music is. It's just a, it's just a distraction from like because life can be really grim, like you say. And I think just sunshine, heat waves, that right. It's just a song about like me having a kiss and a cuddle, my missus, and what doing what you know, having a enjoying what I enjoy. And like they called it kinky jams. There you go, right? You know what I mean? And and, and weirdly, it's come full circle because when I was a kid, my mum and dad they were listening to like Barry White and. Curtis Mayfield and Philadelphia Soul Records, right? Yeah. That's what they are. They're just like, good time, stick it on, have a dance, have a kiss and a cuddle with your partner, whatever. That and that, it, Somewhere in the back of my mind, I think there's a bit of that and all. Um, certainly in the musicality of it, not so much in the songwriting or the melodies or the lyrical content, but in the, in the musicality of it and that sort of string thing. And that, I like, I love that sort of music. So that's another ingredient that we chucked in pop. Uh, and I'm I, I, listen. There's no doubt about it. I'm buzzing at the reaction. You know, it's amazing. And, and what that then does is it inspires confidence. You know, and you look at some of the best music people made. They, they make it from a position of confidence. So once I'd done a couple of tunes on this album, I started like, oh, hang about a minute. I've got a bit of a vibe here. I'm gonna have this. And then that goes out into public realm and people like it. You know, ordinary people. And that then inspires more confidence. So I've got a bunch of other songs that like nobody's heard that I love that have come off back of feeling, you know, because you know what it's like when you, like in any, in sport, for instance, if your confidence is down, say you're a striker at football, you're not going to score. Say you're a boxer and you've had a defeat, you have that bit of doubt in your mind. You know what I mean? And I think it's same with music or same in any profession, you know, same in journalism. If if, if whatever you've done lately has been well received, you, you suddenly you're buzzing, you want to do more of it, you know? Yeah, it's like you can be, you can be like second guessing yourself or hypercritical or even have imposter syndrome at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, when you kind of you were hitting the the middle point of your career today, it's almost like you, things do tend to become unconsciously rote because you're yep. kind of creating things because you're aware that you've got to put this album together and put this album and then stick this album out rather than making the music because you're kind of you're very you're clear on the the journey or maybe you want to kind of discover that throughout that process and then share that with everybody else and I think it can be quite hard but then as you do get older like you said you don't feel you have to fit into them certain types but also I think as we get older it and it's something we many of us are guilty of us when we're younger is validation and um, kind of being seen and um, accredited and kind of acknowledged in that way. And then there's a point when it's, it's not about being bitter and twisted or out like that. It's about just kind of going, do you know what? Like I, I can do this for me. And I think the best art, whether that's music or whether that's visual art or film or whatever it is, or, poetry or literature or whatever i think the best art comes from when we're kind of untethered from our own predispositions and perceptions of how it should be and just kind of surrender to it and just go with flow i think 
Well, I think that that untethering you're talking about that came, I think, as a result of surrendering the melodic responsibility. So it freed me up to like think about the music and the words more. Right. And my mate, my mate, were right with having him, having somebody who were like, I guess, accomplished with words. He didn't have to think about the words. He could just think about the way that the melody and the scan of the 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 like the points of the rhythm, you know, the, the way that the, the the words or the melody would scan, you could just think about the purity of that and yeah. leave leave the sort of jigsaw puzzle of making English prose fit into that. He could leave that up to me. And I think, you know, in the same way that, like, when you lose one of your senses, yeah. your other senses become more heightened. Yeah. Certainly found, me and Dan, I think, found that on this album, you know, we would, we would, we would, sort of, all right, if you're going to do that, then I'll just do this. And that then makes you sharper in some way. Um, and that, that is definitely what you're saying about that untethering from the process, you know, because I, 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 I kind of say it in a nice way, I got very, like, comfy in my process, creative process on the last mm. two or three albums to the point where it was becoming a bit boring, you know, for me and for anybody else who were involved in it. You know, it, it were... Just a bit predictable, and I think you've got to sort of refresh, um, refresh your creative process, and not only the people that are involved, but the way you do things every so often. Certainly, if you want to have a career, you know, if you want to, if you want to do this over a longer period, because just making sort of worse and worse versions of your own. Um, just give me one sec, mate. Just give me one sec. Hang on. No worries. <laughs> Sorry, my missus is on uh on bleeding speakerphone and it's like really loud. Um oh, it's fine. Yeah, I think like it, constantly refreshing your own sort of creative path list and methodology is a good thing. You know what I mean? And you look at musicians who have had prolonged careers and done it for life, and that's certainly a I'm not even biggest David Bowie fan, but I watched a documentary about him about where he approached each album in a sort of slightly different way with different influences or different people. And I thought, no, that's how you do it. That's how you that's how you keep this going over the longer term. Because nobody wants to just hear one guy like thrashing away on his acoustic guitar or a rapper just rapping over like similar boom back beats for the rest of his life. Like that's boring, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like an perspective thing- adjustment. Yeah, definitely, and and obviously that like, even you see even like I keep I keep constantly referencing sport, but you see it in you see, you're, you were talking about Matic. I mean, you look at Johnny Nelson, right? His early yeah. career, the style of his boxing was so different to who we were back time he retired. They were different, both good, but different. And you see, you have to evolve. It's almost like you an know, evolution, that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely that. And you see a lot of sports stars and they sort of they play differently at the end of the career than they would do at the start. You know, you think of a lot of footballers and they tear arsing about when the kids and by the end they're just sitting in the middle of the park pinging it about. You know what I mean? And I think you've got to you've got to evolve and also that has to reflect how old you are, where you are in your personal life. All of these things. Do you see what I mean? Because I, I can't be writing yeah. like, went out last night, took loads of drugs, Shag loads of women. I, I don't live that life. I'm not that person. You know what I mean? So why am I going to write yeah. songs like that? I, I wouldn't do it, would I? Do you know what I mean? So you, no. you, it, has, it has to come from a, and this is a real hard and fast rule of mine that, that I really try to stick to, is it has to come from a a genuine place. And even if that genuine place is like I stayed in last night and read a book, that's fine. As long as it's real. And I think, because I think there's a, a credibility gap we are in music, right? Where you can sort of tell if they're not, they don't mean it, you know. Yeah. Unless they're unless they're such a good vocalist that they can get away with it. Maybe Marvin Gaye is about the only one. You know what I mean? Where you, they're that yeah. good, you'd just be like, you could sing literally "Bar Bar Black Sheep," and I'd be like, "Whoa!" Do you know what I mean? Like, but it, the vast majority of us mere mortals, you've got to you've got to come from a position of like believability. I think authenticity is key. I think absolutely it's not about being like authentic and they go oh yeah but i've got to be raw i've got to be real and it's like well no i think i think you what you've got to 
do as a, a creative, especially as you get older, is um, don't be afraid of the vulnerability in your music mm-hmm. or in whatever mm-hmm. you're creating. And I think if you're sincere about what you're creating, and to whatever level that sincerity might actually be, it, it comes across without you even trying to put that in there. It it's It's present and it's relevant and it's all around you at all times. And I think that's that's one of the things about that kind of really sticks out for the album. It's uh, there is a sincerity to it, but there's also an eclecticness to it as well. And you can you can pick out the elements whereby you you've all changed from what you've listened to over the years and your kind of your outlooks. And you said that you focused quite a lot on the the whole edu rather than the tainment mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is part of who you are, especially you solely as a person is you are a very passionate person. You care, you want things to be right for people. Mm-hmm. And so kind of as draining as it can be, the politics will always manage to find a way into your music. It'll always find a way into, um, your statements on social media or your conversations and interactions and sure it's like and i'm guilty of the same as well i get very pissed off by a lot of things that's going on and it's like but then you also don't want to be that kind of drag on people by going harping on about it all the time Mm -hmm. but then also still kind of keeping in touch of what's going on and um kind of not not dumbing yourself to what's going on outside and that kind of it it will na- it naturally flows within your music but without it being a focus and kind of detracting yeah i mean there's there's, there's two parts to what you've said there i mean firstly there's a lot of very autobiographical stuff on uh this album yeah. specifically related to my relationship with my wife and my relationship with some of my very close friends so is that yeah. problems yeah, but also like there's a song called um, there's a song called "You Don't Love Me," which is a, a very vulnerable yeah. sort of me feeling anxious about my relationship, and I I, I, I suppose I don't really realise I'm doing it at the time. I just sort of write it all down, and it, there's an element of it being cathartic, that, and an element of it being sort of therapy of of sorts. But like you say, you can be like low key political as well, you know, rather than socialism jeremy corbyn as i have been in past it can just be like i don't like this person very much i'm going to write sort of i don't know i guess there's a song called Twenty Six Thousand days on the earth Um, yeah 71 years and point two two three days so i'm just talking about somebody i don't like very much and it's just so happened that person's a politician now no one would know it's a politician from the lyrics of the song they just would know that i really don't like the person yeah and and I think you can be like low key political, uh, as well as explicitly political, and I've I've learned that as I get on. And then the second half of what you were saying, you were talking about the sort of eclectic, how eclectic some of the the music is, and I guess that comes from the fact we that were a conscious thing as well. We we said should you know should we make nine heat waves, nine more heat waves, and we were like, well, no, because that's in itself going to get boring. So there's there's influences, I guess, like that track Overthinking. I'm listening to like Fella Cootie on that number. There's a yeah. track called Exception, which is sort of bossa nova Brazilian music. And just last year, I went overland to uh, Kitwe in Zambia from Sheffield, uh, traveling through Africa and Europe. And obviously, I've traveled in Africa a lot with Damon Albarn and Africa Express and that stuff. And like, I consciously try to keep a sort of eclecticism to, to what I'm doing so that each track then inhabits its own personality and its own character. Cause I think musically you could, there's a, there's a very big risk for bands who've been around a long time to get like incredibly predictable, you know? Yeah. And you can, you can write pop. What I, what I did realize on this album, and I never sort of realized this were possible is you can write pop music in any genre, right? Yeah. Pop music sort of more of a state of mind that you're trying to make, something that's hooky and catchy and has a chorus. But you can you can be weird within that. You can be sort of left field within that. You can be really direct and straight just on a piano within that. You can do whatever you want, really. And 
I don't know. I wish I'd have known that when I was 21. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, because I th- I th- that's the thing. We have these misconceptions over what, say, pop music was almost a dirty word, or it has yeah. been a dirty word for so long. But then when something kind of hits a certain touch point with people, then it crosses over regardless, and it doesn't matter. Like you said, the genre is irrelevant. For me, I, I think of it as a... Um, music sans frontier. Music is should be without boundaries, without Absolutely. borders. Absolutely, and it's like um, it is. It doesn't matter where you. It's, say, for example, I'm thinking of doing a newsletter about folk music and alternative okay. music, and I was speaking with somebody at work about it, and they were like, "Yeah, but what kind of folk music? Um, what folk music?" I went. The problem is when you think of folk music, you'll think of like. English folk music or Irish kind of your yeah, traditional Irish yeah. folk music, your Damien Rice or whatever, and but folk music is it's transcendent. It's 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 across Absolutely. the world. You've got African Absolutely. folk music. You've got so many different forms of folk music. Mm-hmm. You can't just categorize it and pigeonhole it the same way you use terms like bame, which I hate because it's everything yeah. other than white. Just say it. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> just don't be a dick about it. But like, yeah, no, it's it's kind of for me it's if you create something that's just good and stands on its own merit, it becomes popular music by denomination. And that's what you should, that's what you should be doing. And that's what you are doing. And I think you're doing it like pretty brilliantly. Oh, bless you. Thanks, man. I'm not saying it to scratch your back and like, like, no, it's it's very kind, man. But it's, I think it's really like, it's kind of, this is the culmination of everything that's come up until this point. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I, 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 and I think, like, I still feel very ambitious about what I can achieve in music. And and, and obviously, the heavyweight champion of the world is about boxing. I'm, I'm a boxer, I love boxing. And I kind of think to myself, I feel like a journeyman boxer. I'm still in ring. Nobody's knocked me out. And, and weirdly, as rounds go on, I feel stronger and stronger and more capable every round that progresses, you know. And, and like, I don't know, I think, like, What's the ceiling for somebody like me? You know, like years ago, you'd have had one album that'd have been it. Um, and now I'm thinking, like, I can do all, can't I? I'm still here. Like, and, and at that point, you're sort of just making it up as you go along. You're in like deep space, aren't you? Because there's no precedent for it. You know what well, I mean? I look yeah. around. I mean, there's the Arctic Monkeys, but they're, they're like literally the biggest band in the bloody world. So, like, they don't count because they're not a frame of reference. I mean, I guess Richard Orley a little bit. I look at what Richard has achieved. And I think, yeah, I can do that. But equally, like, musically, the palette's wide open. I can just do what I want, can't I? And, and there's so much. I've, I've found, like, a freedom in that that I never thought I had, you know. And I'm like, about, I get paid to do this, and I can literally just make it up as I go along. If I want to, even this, like, art exhibition thing, you know, I were, I, were, I were a bit, like, sort of nervous about doing it. And then I thought, well, why not? I could, if I want to be an artist, I can be an artist. I can do all I want, and and maybe the worst some of that, that can happen that it, it, you don't enjoy yeah. doing it. But this is it, and I think coming from where that we come from, sometimes there's a bit of that, like what you what you do. But I've, I've long since gone past that. You know, I live in Hunters Bar. I'm not like still living on North Side at City, where people want to like not yeah if you tell them you write songs. Do you know what I mean? Like I can, I can, I can do what I want, and and Sheffield's a great incubator for that. You know, you can be arty. You can. I think Jarvis Cocker is a prime example of that. You can be arty. You can be weird, for want of a better word, and it's fine. You know what I mean? And and that's yeah. Sheffield's strength is that it's both tough, but equally it's got this sort of artistic side to it that you can just do whatever you want, and and I love it. I love it here. I think it's amazing. It's great. But the thing is, like you say, though, like certain parts of the city, when we, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, because it was a couple of years between us age-wise, and um, it's, it's kind of, there were these viewpoints on things. But the thing is, one thing about Sheffield, we'll be very critical of our own. Yeah, I'll be very harsh to our own. But if anyone else outside talks about us, it doesn't matter where you're from. We're all going to band together and we're going to support. We're going to stand behind them. We're going to stick up for them. And it's like we've got this God given right to be very critical about everything that comes from where we're from. 
but no one else can have that opinion because how dare they and um that's kind yeah. of where we are but then like you say it's um the thing is it's a uh, i think the city's changed in the, a lot in that kind of outlook as well and a lot of people that have stayed here all their lives won't see it whereas i did having left and come back and seen the that's same really, people that used that's to be very interesting what well, well let me ask you a question then what on, what then. How long were you away, and what are the changes you perceive upon your return? All right, so I left in 2004. Okay. Came back 2016. Uh, 2020, sorry. Um, I came back for a little bit in 2007 after university, but that doesn't count because that was just drinking and, um, shall we say, the um, debaucherous and <laughs> decadent lifestyle. Save it for the book. But, like, it's, it's kind of... I do think there is um, an inherent negativity but i don't think that's just sheffield i think that people think it's just here but i think it's i think it's prevalent across the country i agree um and um kind of coming back it's like for me i see that loads of mistakes are being made and loads of things have changed like stuff like areas like kellam island didn't exist like that when i left Mm -hmm. And then mm-hmm. I come back and then look at it, it's thriving. You look at all the independent eateries, all the different kind of food places, the little um, independent bars, the craft breweries. And I, I know a few have kind of closed down um, in over the course of the last year and a bit. But the thing is, no matter whatever happens, it's like being in like a really bad storm, like a tornado hits and it wrecks everything. Mm-hmm. And everyone's mm-hmm. despondent and broken about that. And I understand that. But what they don't realize is that for every single time something's reduced to rubble, there's, there's little shoots, there's little, there's little hints of spring every single yeah. time. Yeah. And we don't focus on that enough because we're so busy just... You say in the heavyweight champion of the world, caught up in the rat race, getting a housewife yeah. car. Yeah. And we get caught in that routine and it's monotonous. But for what COVID, the one good thing about the lockdown, what it did is everybody had to stop for a while. And that first lockdown, you saw a change in people because they weren't mm-hmm. going 110 miles an hour. We paused for a little bit and we could go out for an hour for a walk. I went out for hours for walks. I'd walk all the way across the city from Healy up to Bannercross and so on and out to the countryside and back again. And um, it was like, you could just stop and just appreciate the things in life. Like just something mm. simple, like walking from Healy green an area I grew up in, which was working class and dilapidated as a kid and is being mm. slowly gentrified in certain parts now and walking up to the top of Mearsbrook park and looking over the city and my mates who've remained here, that they'd, they'd have a few things to say what they think about the city. I just walked up to the top of the top of Mearsbrook park, looked across the city, saw the smog, kind of clearing away because people weren't driving as much. And do you know what? We live in a bloody beautiful place. Yeah, ma'am. And it was just taking that in and appreciating that and embracing it. And now I live on the outskirts and I I, I drive back in every now and I live over near Rother Valley Way. And yeah. I, I'll come back in. I'm, I'm by the countryside. So five minutes in the car, I'm out in fields and whatever. Um, but then 10 minutes the other direction, I can be back in the city again and just and we don't people don't realize that sheffield's amazing like that like we've got a city we've got a metropolis and sure the city center isn't the same as it was when we were kids when there was the fountain at top of fargate in virgin megastores and like hmv was like where barclays bank is now and there was game well sorry the game was there and like hmv was elsewhere and there was the mcdonald's at the top of the mall without fountain when people used to drop penny coins in there and make wishes which was daft but you know we were kids and we lived the dream and it was just like all those fun things and people don't kind of see it where for me it's like i don't know and the one thing about i love about the music from sheffield it's like polaroids back in time yeah well it's, then, it, 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 i think that. like it's a it's a I mean, firstly, Sheffield dirty picture in a golden frame right which is as often said but i think that uh, what someone said recently is that like it's a it's a it's a tradition, right? So Richard Orley, I guess, is the carrier of this pattern. He's the living embodiment of it. But you think back to his dad, Zira, Dave Orley, Joe Cocker, Frank White, yeah. this guy Stu Mosley. This is the sixties now. Moving forward, Cabaret Voltaire, Human League, Evan Seventeen. We invented electro music, right? 
And then obviously yeah. you fast forward through time and pull to warp records and bleep music and, you know, all their long pigs going forward to our generation and all them things. One thing I'm very proud of is that that when the industry declined, or certainly when the manpower that powered the industry was replaced by mechanisation, um, and and then fellas who would have been working it steel suddenly the machines did the job. The culture of this city sort of stepped in and and took took hold. So you get warp films, you get the Arctic Monkeys, you get Bring Media Rising, you get you know places like Church or you get like music venues springing up and, and, and bands and tramlines festival. And that sort of almost carries the mantle really. And I take that sort of tradition really seriously. Me, I mean, I'm significantly yeah. younger than Richard Orley. So, and Martin Ware, I guess they're the sort of two, maybe Phil Oakey, they're the sort of Richard H. Kirk from Cabaret Voltaire's recently passed away. I'm going to have to carry that baton at some point. And I take that responsibility seriously because I think the culture of this city is... That's the thing now, isn't it? Along with the universities and the Chinese community, who obviously economically have kept this city turning. Yeah. I think, like, really, it's the culture that has sustained this city. And I don't mean that's my doing. It's it's a load of us. There's an army of people who've contributed to that. Right? But I think, like... We persevere, don't we? We certainly do, mate. Yeah, and I think, like, my wife's from London, and she says to me recently, she's like, oh, it's great in Sheffield. I can't, like, because it feels like when you talk about Sheffield in 80s, it were like, don't feel like here. And I says, well, it weren't, Laura. I says, because all my uncles lost a job. My dad lost his job. I said, everybody, nobody had a job. Nobody had any money. Everything were depressing. You looked at central government, and all right, there's a bit of that now. You look at central government, and there's nothing down there for us. Feels like another country, right. London, right? Yeah. But but there's such a strong localized regional thing. And then I look at a band like the Ratons, right? Who, all right, they've got a lot of detractors because people. And I meant to make meet Johnny, singer of a week. We've got a lot of detractors, right? People, it sounds like this, it sounds like that, as if music exists in a vacuum and nobody's influenced by anything. I mean, as if I'd never heard any other bands from Sheffield. Like it's ludicrous. You got a band who are unsigned, right? Who are number one in album charts and are going to sell Sheffield Arena, right? Yeah. Right, and 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 they are the the embodiment of this tradition, the music, the musicality that they represent, and the. And I mean, let's talk about South Yorkshire more generally, than even more so than Sheffield, right? They're carrying this tradition and this baton forward, and and the number one. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's so powerful, and I think like. It's very inspiring, and if I were a young kid looking at that, I think I'd be thinking I could do that. I remember a time we used to went to a thing called Music in the Sun. Uh, uh, remember that? I remember the Music in the Sun. Uh, right. So we went down, there. Down Valley. That's the one. Yeah, that's it. So we went down there. Long pigs played. Pulp had done their thing, so they were pulp. Let's take them out of it because they were massive. Same as Arctic Monkeys. Just take them out of it for a minute. They were Death Leopard from years ago, and then all eighties bands. But they'd been known in Sheffield for years. And we were watching, we went to watch these bands, Lazy Dollies, British, what were they called? British Racing Green, Sea Fruit, and and we went to watch one of them do an in-store at Virgin Megastore. That's all we had. We had yeah. nothing. We had nothing as kids, we had no to aspire to in that way, apart from maybe pulp and a little bit long pigs. And you look now, if you're a kid, you could look point to one to there's a last called Sophie at the band called Sophie and the Giants who live at Crooks. Right? They've had a number one in Italy. Nobody knows about it. There's a geezer, Steve Edwards, right, who's had three US number ones. People yeah. that he walks down the street, nobody's saying no to him. And I think, like, that's what this city is. You he's know, worked with feel... Grammy artists and all. He's the man. He's a genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's, he's an incredible artist, incredible vocalist, lovely guy. And, like, just humble. No one would ever know. You know what I mean? Like, you got uh, Elliot Kennedy wrote ten number ones. Yeah, for, and he's been how many shows on Broadway as well? Do you know what I'm saying? And 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 pe these people, they don't they don't brag about it. They're not going round thinking the ten men. They're just doing the thing. And I think like you've got to be proud of that as a Sheffielder. And and I've made a decision to if you're from Sheffield and you're doing all right, I'm gonna and you you about right stuff. I'm backing you. I'm backing yeah. you because I, I know what it would I know what it were like for us. Desperate for somebody to to get behind us or to to 
show as we could do it or whatever. And, and people, you know, even music festivals, you know, we had music in the sun for a couple of years, then there were nothing, nothing yeah. at all. And then suddenly we've got this festival every year where the city comes and has this big party at tram lines, you know, and like, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely wonderful every single year. It's just full of love, full of good vibes. And I think like, and it, again, you, you know, referring to what I said earlier, where's the where's the end point? What else can we do? Because I like to look for, as well as look back and that, that sepia nostalgic thing, what can we do next? Where else can we go? You know what I mean? Because it's, I mean, even my brother, he was on front of Monkey's album. Yeah. And for years, he went in, somebody sent a photo of Times Square, it's all his face. And for, for years, he got this like working class imposter syndrome. I've only had my photo took, I've not done all to deserve all this attention. Yeah. He goes away, he goes away, writes a comedy show, and next thing he's like all over internet, everybody loving him. Like, I would say he gets recognised more than me now because of that. Unbelievable, you know what I mean? And, and you look at what they've done with, everybody's talking about Jamie, biggest council estate in Europe, and you've got like a load of drag queens shutting the entire thing down to make a movie with like Richard E. Grant that's going to be shown in Hollywood, and he's now a Hollywood line success story and and gone all over Broadway, all from this city. You know what I mean? And and like, this is England just over at Road from the pub where everyone's talking about Jamie was filmed. There you go, mate. You know what I mean? I think like I feel immensely proud of that. And I think like hopefully my aim, my aim, my hope is there's some lads and lasses in this city who are looking at that and thinking I'm having some of that. And they're gonna take it on to a new level. A lot of my generation, they look at ratings, I'm not going to lie to you, they look at ratings, they're a bit jealous. They start slagging them off, they're, like, they're not as good as us. But you know what, mate? Who cares? Who cares? Look at what they're doing. It's, it's the incredible. It? I find it so inspiring, me. I look at them and I think, go on, boys. Unbelievable. I hope, you, I hope you're bigger than Jesus. Crack on. You know what I mean? They've, they've got my back in 200% because I think that's a success story and it's, you have to think what it, the impact it has on youngsters because it shows them it's possible it is and it's and the thing is the one thing i'd say about it as well is like for the ratings from that from from my perspective the ratings should just look at it like this everyone feels away but at least they feel something but Mm -hmm. in the big picture as well it's kind of like i think what people seem to forget is it takes exactly the same amount of energy to appreciate something without fully understanding it than it does to dismiss it out of hand yeah yeah. And yeah. it's it's like kind of I think what the ratings have done is absolutely brilliant, but I the thing is they're just getting started. And it doesn't matter if they sound like anybody else or they sound similar to this and that. That's fine because when when you do begin as a creative, whatever you're doing, you learn by imitating and you yeah. evolve from there. So the thing is it's important they can nail the sound of whoever people say they sound similar to but then when they do that that's when they find their voice and that's when they find their own identity like fully and and the thing is they feel like they can unshackle themselves from it like the thing is you said on this album it's almost like your emancipation in a way because you feel free of your predispositions Mm -hmm. of the past yeah and that's what they'll experience and the thing is we need to let people do that. We need to let people feel that. And that's fine. That's good. That's great. Well, years ago, years ago, bands would have had that space to do that. You know, they would have, there were enough money in music, in the in the recorded music industry to do that, you know, to take a band on, to incubate them, to let them, to let them put music out, to let them make mistakes, you know, and there's... Break stuff to make stuff. Exactly, right. And a lot of, uh, don't me wrong, that's, that's why a lot of music popular music now is quite bougie, right? Because a lot of the access to music is restricted to sort of kids who can afford to fail, can afford to be crap for a long time, blah, blah. blah. I remember my mum saying to me, you'll never make out of this music. You need to get a proper job. And she weren't being horrible. That were just a, a sort of working class ethics of like, you know, don't leave this an iron dry and you need to think about how you're going to make a bob and one thing or another. So I think like there is a, there is a, short-termism in the music industry um but equally like i think i think it's just i I find it very inspiring seeing people from my area 
being successful in whatever medium. I mean, I remember when Jessica Ennis done what she done at Olympics, and I just thought, there's a little girl somewhere, there's a little lass somewhere who's looking at that, who's going to be a gold medal winner one day because of her. Solely because of her, because of this lass from Sheffield. You know what I mean? And I think, like, that applies in film and in, in, in literature and in, and in... I mean, you look at what Pete McKee's achieved, right? And Pete's he's, he's an amazing man, right? And But this is a guy who's taught his sin. It's not been a, not been a no fancy art schools particularly or, like, any of that. He's been sort of sneered at a little bit as he's started. And he's become whatever our artistic equivalent of a poet laureate is, right? Yeah. Um, I look at somebody like Majid Majid, you know, come from Somaliland, suffered all that racist abuse, all that hostility, but on flipper that's found a welcoming home in this city where people have made him welcome, made him feel part of a community. And he goes on to be like, obviously our mayor, but like a national voice, a superstar really, you know, an authority. That's inspiring. There's, there's there's a bunch of lads and lasses all over the place who are looking at him. And I think, like, Sheffield does that really well. And I don't think we quite realise that we're doing it sometimes. Yeah. Um, I look at my mate James O'Hara, you know, went to school with him, come off Shire Green, started a music festival. It's 40,000 people go every single year just because he felt like it. He had an idea and then went and did it. You know, and I think, like... That's amazing. That's an, and I've mentioned him already, but you look at Johnny Nelson. Yeah. Boxing champion, cruiserweight, held title for years and years and years. Now he's like the authority on boxing on telly. He's a lad of Upperthorpe, off a council estate. You know what I mean? And moreover, look at Ingalls Gym, you know, taking. I mean, look at Naz, you know, taking a. a, a the, the, the child of Yemeni immigrants and, and gone on to be like a. A, a bona fide superstar, and and Sheffield, I don't know, I don't know why. And, and you, you might say, oh, but other cities have got that. The Ann, the Ann. I said to somebody recently, I went, name me five brilliant bands from Leeds ever, and they went, uh, Soft Cell, uh, Gang of Four, uh, uh, and I went, there you go. I went, name me a film from Leeds. Uh, you know what I mean? You look at Birmingham, even which is our second city. Could they have done more culturally? Is their cultural output comparable to Sheffield? I don't think it is. You know what I mean? So there's no... There's, I think, like, I'm not trying to pit Sheffield against other places. I'm merely using that comparison to try and say that this is a special place, they say. You know, and, and I think... thing like, about that as well. Go on. However big and however famous, all each of those people that from Sheffield has done, and they go away, and they come back, and they can walk around like normal... Yeah. Yeah, and I know that sometimes, like say the likes of Richard Orley, you can sometimes get bothered a bit, but that's more of a, a recent kind of thing mm-hmm. when people just won't give him a bit of space. But it's like for the most part, you can be wandering through one of the many parks in the city. That's one of the things as well. We've got some amazing parks and green space. Yeah, you can be wandering through one of the many parts throughout the city, and you bump into Jess Ennis, and yeah. she'll she's. She's great. I remember when we used to bump see her in Republic back in the day. Remember Republic? Yeah, yeah. And um, used to like go there on Monday nights to Blessed. And um, used to love, used to love Blessed. Used oh, to love that hard week. Go on. Yeah, I had one of my mates saved in my phone as Blessed because you remember you used to get that text message so you could yeah, get in for free and get it. the drinks offers. Yeah, that was the it. one. And um, we used to just send it around each other because we'd rinse the text out. But um. It, that's the thing, it's like kind of, it, no matter how big those people have got, for the most part, they've gone yeah. away, they've they've come back or, or they return back for holidays or whatever. And there's that humility that just yeah. remains and people are respectful of that. And it's lovely. It's, it's great. I'm like, do you know, if someone comes from absolutely now and they make something of themselves, it doesn't matter if I agree with what they've created or I just don't get it like, I'm happy for that person for just exactly. for excelling and like I'm like do you know what they just show it's possible and you know you know what's really interesting about what you've just said is I mean firstly I get a lot more people coming up to me in, in Liverpool Manchester London than I do in Sheffield yeah and the second thing you mentioned the parks 
You see the parks, a lot of them. Take Firth Park, for instance. Mark Firth, big industrialist. New money, they would have called him, because he come from, didn't come from the aristocracy, made loads of money, and then bequeathed loads of things to the city. Yeah. And I think you have to look at that as well. You look at Jess Ennis and various other people, and they stay here, and they want to contribute to what this city is becoming and what it is and all that. And that's a quite a long-standing tradition, that Graves Art Gallery, all them kind of things. You know, people who've done well here who want to give back to the city. Um, I love this place, man. And if I did ever leave, it'd be to go abroad. It wouldn't be to go somewhere else in the UK. Well, I've moved around the UK and I'm back here. So that answers that kind of like theory on things, really. I just think there's something about it. And regardless of wherever you go in the world, well, in the country especially, there's always a pull that brings you back. And... I'm sorry, all right, oh, mate. Me, big lad's got back with all his mates, so just going upstairs so I can still hear you. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, At I've got, got your steps in. I've got a nice view of the city. This is my view of the city, right? And then I can sort of old city centre in palm of my hand here. Um... <laughs> Give it a tickle. Yeah, I mean, I love this place, man. It is. A, it, there's no doubt it's a special place. It's an incubator of, of talent, sporting and musical. And um, I just... I fucking knacker from running upstairs. I think, like... Uh, I don't know. You've got your I, I Apple Watch about, on. Yeah. You get, I, think about, I think about the future a lot, me. I, I recently did some work with the University of Sheffield and uh, one of the guys were Chinese, right? And as I said before, they've... You have to think of the influence that the migrant communities have brought to this city. You know, the, the, certainly from the Caribbean and South Asia, but more recently from China, right? And uh, we've been developing some like AI software that makes music. And obviously, this is the city that invented British Electronica, right? Martin Ware, yeah. Cabaret Voltaire, Human League, all that stuff. And then you think to yourself, well... That's an ongoing thing. You've got the Chinese community, all these sort of computer science geniuses, and they're making like, even now, they're making the forging the future in some way. You know, this is a city that, you know, has, has developed a lot of technology that's incredibly important, right? In, in, and I think that's like an ongoing thing. And what I keep thinking about is like, what will we do next? Because you've got to think like, all this stuff we're talking about is in most of it's within my lifetime. We didn't last 40 years, maybe slightly before with electronic, electronica stuff, Cabaret Voltaire, whatever. But it's all within my lifetime. So you've got to think if I'm off, say if I'm morbidly halfway through my life, what's going to happen in second half? Because I think like it's all there in this city. And part of me wonders whether being ignored by central government and, and having that sort of slightly awkward reputation for not going along with national government and whatever. That's part of it. And I think, like, I just, I, I'm, it's more of an open-ended question, really. It's like, what we're going to do next in this city? You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. There's the, the possibilities are endless. But I also think we, we continue to be these, like, successes out of being perpetual underdogs. Yep, yep. And I wonder whether that's that's part of our shtick, in it? I think if we suddenly became like, you know, you know, remember Tories one about a Northern Powerhouse, which never happened. I wonder if, we, if we'd if we become like Manchester, would that have armed our culture? So you look at, like, they call it Manhattan now, where it's just, like, booming Manchester. Certainly it's city centre. But then you think, and obviously they sort of nostalgically self-reference a lot. And this is not me slagging Manchester off, but it's like, when what last really good thing you had culturally? You know what I mean? Like, when what last really good record that came from Manchester? You know what I mean? And and, and New York's similar. You know, you, I remember Kat, Patty Smith were talking about CBGBs and she was saying, like, obviously Blondie and herself and Talking Heads had all come through this venue. She went, but you won't get it now. She went, because all flats around here... The ten million dollars to buy one, so none of us can just walk down. Niall Rogers can't just walk down to Studio Fifty Four 
and meet Grace Jones and go home and re write like freak out because nobody lives anywhere near them clubs anymore. Whereas in Sheffield, there's still a availability of cheap ex-industrial land where you can make a noise, you can yeah. have a game of footer, you can open a boxing gym, you can... Sheffield's still got that kind of thing that made somewhere like Berlin great. Do you know what I mean? Like, Which is essentially cheap land with, with like, yeah. that you can use. And Sheffield still does that. You can still express yourself in Sheffield, the space to do it. And I certainly think if you're trying to identify, like, reasons why it's the way it is, that's a big part of it for me. Yeah, it is. I think it's, like, kind of... The thing about Sheffield is we tend to migrate to places that are forgotten about, that have been, like, kind of left in decay, mm -hmm. and then we create something new there. Like I was saying with the analogy earlier about when you see, the like, a tornado happening and destroying everything in its wake... But then there's yeah. the little sprints yeah. that are growing out of that. And that's what happens with whatever new thing we kind of come up with next. It kind of, it will sprout out from the most unseemly of places. And then it, it catches well, I'm on. I'm obsessed with Park, I'm obsessed with Parkwood Springs. I mean, this my family's from very near there, uh, historically. Yeah. And George Orwell stayed there in the 1930s when he were researching uh, the road to Wigan Pier. And he subsequently wrote that Sheffield was the worst city in the developed world, right? And then during the war, it got smashed by the bombs because there were like a couple of gannister pits there in some sort of industry there that the Germans wanted to sort of take out. So it got heavily bombed. They pulled it down. They built the ski village. The ski village went. And it's this like weird, obviously the landfill, but it's this weird sort of big hole in the middle of the city. And I keep thinking like we could do something amazing with that. You know, I don't know, like, who I'd speak to about action in that. Not really want, ever wanting to get involved in, like, formal politics. But certainly, like, that could be a really amazing... You know, you're talking about the, the importance of, like, public spaces and stuff. I keep thinking about that place, me. And I, I had an idea to write a novel that was set there yeah. that I've sort of half-written and I might go back to at some point. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of unlocked potential still in, in the city as well, which I think... Um, you know, but equally, like I said, you look at Manchester, that's a double edged sword because it's too much development, it becomes bougie, then right, and it becomes a different thing. And a lot of like the local, you look at what's happened to the population of East London, right? They all live in Essex now, you know what I mean? East London, yeah, you can't live, in, yeah, you can't live where I, I lived at Bethnal Green. I used to live in Brixton at the top of Brixton Hill, yeah, and you go back down there now, and it's it's not the same. It's like they've they've developed it, but in doing so, they've they've extrapolated the soul of, of the place. And yeah, people say, well, it was downtrodden. It was loads of crime and this and that. But crime's mm -hmm. going to be wherever, whatever happens. But the thing is, you can you can upscale places without removing what makes them so special. It just takes careful yeah, development. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's hope, let's hope that's what happens in Sheffield because I think other things. I think Sheffield people are quite like what you'd call John Bull, aren't they? So I think if that ever really happens, like my mates have took over Fagans, right? And Tom and Barbara have been there for like forty years. It's obviously important to Irish community, yeah. And they're, they're, they're so respectful about how they've done it that they've managed to make it better whilst keeping the soul of it. And that's the that's the model for Sheffield. How do you keep that northern independent? spirit while sort of still like moving, moving forwards yeah that's the listen that's a lesson for us all i could apply that personally to my music how do i keep what i'm about while still going forward you know what i mean well, if we can... go on sorry. yeah i'll let you finish no, i think that's that's like i'm gonna have to get off in a minute but i feel like i've got another yeah personally but I, I feel like that's a good note to sort of end on, and it's an open-ended question, isn't it, really? Is how, how do you keep your integrity and what you're about and what people like about you or a thing or a place or a band or a, a football team without sort of compromising the soul of the whole endeavour? You know, and if you, can, if you can crack that, you're on the path to success, I think. Absolutely. 
no i agree i agree and i'm interested to see how that kind of filters into your approach into whatever comes next i mean no pressure like i mean i know you've this comes out at the end of april but and then you've got the show aren't you at the lead mill got the got the album show at the lead mill i'm doing a lot of house gigs i've got my letters exhibition and then i'm going to start showing people i've got a load of footage banked up from my trip to Sheffield's twin city of Kitwe in Zambia, where in the 70s, there was a very unlikely psych rock scene called Zamrock, which is absolutely bloody amazing. And uh, yeah. I'm, up, I'm looking yeah. forward to sort of cutting all that footage up, showing it everybody. And yeah, keeping busy, man. got to keep the wheels of industry turning, aren't you? Keep, keep producing. Where are you going to do that then? Where are you going sh- to show that? You're going to set up a screen at the amphitheatre at Parker? Yeah, maybe. maybe I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Maybe just in short form initially online. And then look at making it into a, a sort of longer, longer piece, and uh, yeah, just keeping on rolling, man. I'm, 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 I'm here till here till the death now. I'm a life. I'm like Morgan Freeman. It's Shawshank, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a lifer. You know, just I'm call you red. That's it. Call me red. <laughs> Why? Because yeah, because you, you're Irish. But that's the <laughs> thing, isn't it, John? But um, I'd I'd like to thank you so much for your time, mate. It's I've really enjoyed pleasure. talking to you, man. Well, yeah. I'm sure we'll bump into each other at some point anyways, and uh, oh, we'll um, have a crack at some point. Yeah, man. Good luck Take with the album. Care, I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. So there you have it. That's our chat with the heavyweight champion of the world and the bringer of the heat wave in the cold north, which God knows we need a little bit of heat right now. The album will be out this Friday, so pick it up from all good record stores or buy it online whatever floats your boat. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chris Talks Music, and until the next time, do take care.